In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own cognac, or whatever the hell it is. Uh, with me across the pond is one of them, but you won't know who. It is either the rock pirate psychologist himself, Mr. Cal Cooper, or is it... Is it Mr. What is he? Psychic and science? No, let me think. All Jesus. right. Ah, uh, Steve Parsons. So which one? In, which one is it? Do we know? Do we know? Uh, I think it's definitely the guy living in the future. Hang on yeah. a minute. I'm going to I'm going to take great exception to being linked with psychic and science in a moment. I, I thought that was your design. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's some. That's uh, that. That's a really good stage show uh, that I can only aspire to even getting close to, starring Richard Felix. Uh-huh. Anyways, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. So we'll give you the hint. It was uh, Steve Parsons there in the UK somewhere. Are you in Wales, Steve? In Wales, yeah. The nearest. The nearest part of the British mainland to you, nearly. And uh, Cal, where are you? Oh, sorry, just lost you there. Yeah, I can hear you. Where are you? I'm in the USA with you this time, so I'm not, not across the pond here in Nashua. Okay. You're across the river, as we like to say. Yeah, exactly. I'm only a stone's throw away from you. Less I've than got. To, I, I've got to ask, why aren't you two? saving the bandwidth and doing it from the same computer because we don't like each other yeah we, uh, we have to keep the distance uh, the spirit quest is it the brits versus the americans they've fallen out already yeah i know entente cordial i do have to admit steve that uh it was brought me great pleasure to see mr cal cooper walking around with a uh ghost meter in his hand which i was no, Go I wouldn't have given. Go on, back, given, no, back pedal, Cal. Back I, pedal I your way say, out of that. I was going to say, it wouldn't have given you much pleasure. I was very hesitant to poison my hand with a machine that was throwing the words "ghost machine" in my face or "ghost detector." Actually, so, actually, actually, it's got nothing to do with that. I don't have any great exception to you using an EMF pump or a ghost meter because 
as a parapsychologist, it's about the level that you're competent at using the equipment. Because as I've, as I've said so many times, parapsychologists have made that many cock-ups doing science with pieces of equipment that they neither understand nor can use properly. Oh, totally. It's, it's probably for the best that you're playing with BMF pumps and ghost meters. <laughs> Which it's safe territory. Is the rattle, the toy rattle of the paranormal <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's, yeah, football rattle. <laughs> yeah, well, I, as I've made it clear, I made it clear to the audience, I don't regularly use those sort of things. Whenever I've been on investigations with the university department, the Centre for the Study of Anomalous Psychological Processes, we leave that to people that have been trained. Know what, that, means, that know what they're doing. Well, Simon's been through all this stuff with you. He's worked with that's Karen perfectly tr- That's perfectly true, he has. Yeah, he was the one leading the investigation, so he was the one telling us what to do. He was the one that had all the cross-sections of the building. He told us where to go and when, what he wanted to do and when. And all our main job was to just document what was going on and radio in every time all of us rotate and switch rooms and switch the camera tapes. You know, So that was the proper investigation. There was no turning off of the lights. There was no running about in the dark. There was no, there was no infrared. There, there was What's none of that, you know. Wasn't there a, a, an investigation you were involved with some time ago that involved uh, three or four parapsychologists uh, and the lead parapsychologist who, who really is, you know, uh, well known in his field um, for ghost investigation, turned the lights off? That must have been a boring uh, thing. Three parapsychologists in the same investigation. <laughs> oh, you, you can imagine it, Ron. It was like, well, first of all, they the, uh, drank plenty of Guinness. Turned all the lights off and probably. I don't drink Guinness. Silly. I've got to say that. I've got to say that there. I don't drink Guinness. In my defence, I don't drink Guinness. <laughs> it sounds like back. <laughs> anyway. <coughs> oh my God! A ghost dog. I know, phantom <laughs> dog. There isn't one in this room. Scooby. Froggy. <laughs> oh, um, so Steve. You know the weekend that we've just had. Though um, we've just had Spirit Quest and um, loads more other events going on and coming up this evening as well. Um, you really missed um, a weekend of different events that yeah, were going yeah. on. Everything isn't, was different. Isn't that called rubbing salt into the wound? No, I'm just saying. <laughs> it was good. It was very good. I'm even you sat right re- you here. You really missed it. It was brilliant. You really missed it. I don't know why you declined. <laughs> but I'm sat right next to one of the good. Hang on a minute. Hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why I what? Why you, why you declined? I didn't. <laughs> you did. We invited you. Yeah. But oh, wait a minute. When... I didn't invite you. I take that back. Yeah, you didn't invite me. <clears throat> I know when I'm not wanted. Aww. Anyway, why why would you need me? Because I'm only the stunt stand-in. No, that's not true, Steve. You have the real you have the real McCoy over there. You've got the rock star parapsychologist, and uh, actually, we're ignoring uh, another of the uh, stars that we sent over, aren't we, um, Ross? Yes, um, Ross came over as well. He's still here. It's not like he's gone, but um, he's done great as well. Um, mentally, he may on... be gone. I don't know. Sorry, he's got a great set of tattoos. Said, mentally, he may be gone after all all those American spirits get into his brain. Well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Ron, do you want to like mention some? You know, your time with working with Ron, you, uh, uh, Ross, Ross and Ron. That's been so confusing <laughs> over the weekend. What did you yeah, think I never of Ross so far? R-O-S-S, you know, never with him, R-O-S-S. Uh, I know it's so difficult. But obviously, we told you, you know, some of the things he's done in the past. But you know, um, you got to work with him one on one, going around the building as well at some points. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it, it was actually uh, pretty amazing. Uh, you know, we, we were talking about the Spirit Quest uh, weekend that just happened. Uh, it's a paranormal event, three days of, uh, you know, it's like Woodstock of the paranormal, I guess you would say. And, um, you know, I, I did have the, the rare opportunity to work with uh, Mr. Ross Spotland, who is the top uh, teenage, I can't say teenage because I think he's 20 now, UK psychic and medium in the UK, but he is awesome. Anyways, uh, an interesting thing, Friday night, I believe, after the Psychic versus Science uh, ghost hunt, which, by the way, the Psychics won, um, the interesting thing about it, him and I were talking about the spirit he had connected with by the name of Dennis. Dennis. Mm. And, and as we turned out, we looked through some pictures and everything else, and he identified one him, and it turned out to be Dennis Vesey, one of the former owners of the estate. But there was another chap uh, connected with Dennis, and this chap was also connected with me, which made it kind of interesting. And he was also picking up on a Mary and a uh, Matt. And he says, does this make any sense to you, Ron? And, you know, I was going, I said, no, not really. But uh, I thought about it and thought about it. Then I remembered a police case that we were working on. And one of the suspects' name was Max, so perhaps I was thinking maybe had something to do with that. So we connected a little later in the evening, and we, we sat down, and uh, we started going over what he had said. And um, as it turned out, um, I live on Mary Mac Avenue, and so Mary and Mac. And it was interesting because he's, uh, he says, I'm, I'm picking up a date, a date, but it can't be right because— this guy, Dennis, lived in the 1800s. And uh, he says, no, no, I, I, I see 1176. I says, well, that's my street address on Mary Mac Avenue. So evidently, this Charlie character has something to do with me and my house or, or my business, my farmer business, and uh, in some connection with this Dennis character. So we've got to do some research on it. But it was interesting how that all came about. Mm. There was also that spirit that um, Ross said he picked up on of a woman called Elizabeth who came in visitation to the, the building that we're in. And um, you said that some of your study group inside the class had now and then seen shadows walk behind that frosted glass when you said no one else was in the building. And um, when Ross uh, came forward with the information from her, she described some of the people connected with you and also the fact that she was aware of the study groups going on in there or you know that you were there quite frequently as well right right yeah because i actually teach my college course there in paranormal csi there at that place mm. and, uh part of the what the course does is is, is the students uh, have to accumulate evidence uh that they collect on their own and uh this was collected by them by both classes that i i ran there so that was very much interesting and and i actually have something very cool to tell mr parson because i he's going to tell me it's a uh pants anyways but that's besides <laughs> um i was you know i haven't slept in forever doing this event and i try to steal away for a little while so i laid down in one of the rooms on the couch and i couldn't sleep but i got put myself in a you know kind of a meditative uh, state where, you know, you're not quite sleeping, but you're not quite awake here. And then I opened my eyes, and there was a little old woman bent over at me, and she put her finger to her lips and said, shh. And then, of course, I 
close my eyes and open them again, and then she was gone. And also there was someone else um, in that same room, uh, not the same time, a little later, uh, that was in that room, and the door to the hall opened up three-quarters of the way, then closed, and then uh, there was a like a, a brush of cold air, and she sensed a little old woman. She didn't see it, but she did sense a little old woman. So uh, what do we got here, Steve? Uh, what is this? What is uh, well, uh, yeah, first of all, um, the assumption that, it, it, that I'm going to say it's pants is probably a wrong assumption. Because, really? uh Well, because it wasn't my experience, but I think that, you know, the experience was yours and the, uh, the uh, information that Ross got could have been got um, psychically. But, you know... I think somebody you know, ought to point out that there are certainly other possibilities. Um, actually, more in the realms of, of Cal's domain from parapsychology, but, but nonetheless, um, we had a medium visit us um, performing a local theatre um, last year. And in order to go along, uh, you had to book tickets and you had to fill in the, the form on the website and so the tickets could be... Uh, mailed out to you or picked up at the theatre. But part of the uh, boxes uh, required to be filled in was your name, obviously, your address, including your postcode, zip code, um, and other information. And now, this medium's claim to fame, one of the claims he makes um, on his website and in his stage shows, is that he can provide really accurate information, including... Um, addresses and house numbers. Um, <clears throat> now, your information uh, that you that uh, regarding your address, I mean, it's it is possible that it could have been obtained from uh, by non paranormal, non psychical means, okay. and your um, your experience uh, when you're in that twilight world, that hypnagogic world between sleep and wakefulness. Uh, does also have, you know, other uh, explanations. Mm-hmm. That's not to dismiss what took place or to dismiss, you know, any ability or or otherwise by the psychic. It's simply to point out uh, that there are other possibilities that need to be discounted before, you know, we run helter-skelter towards the paranormal. Right. So, no, no, I wouldn't call it pants, but I would say before we call it pants, we have to make sure it's not trousers. <laughs> the, the interesting thing, too, Steve, is that uh, as part of my uh, paranormal study group, uh, we not par- I'm sorry, not paranormal study, my, my college course there at Paranormal CSI, is that we bring in witnesses as well. And per- the most telling witness is a, is a gentleman that has nothing to do about, uh, you know, he's nothing to do with the paranormal. He's a fireman. He, he really doesn't want anything to do with it, but he, he used to be the caretaker there. And he had a, a personal experience uh, where he was not sleeping, not in that state at all. But one day he was in the room and he saw two women come through the wall, basically. And one of them stopped and talked to him and said, it's OK for you to be here. You don't have to be afraid. And then walk through the wall again. And uh, so it's another piece of evidence uh, saying that, you know, maybe there is something about a little old lady in this place that that has some validity to it. 
Well, that's, that's the way investigators work, isn't it? They build up this body of evidence, and what you're looking for are those, uh, ideally, are those disconnected individuals who are starting to make the same reports um, without prior knowledge or, you know, uh, cross-pollination from, from previous accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I wouldn't call it pants, but at the same time, um, you know, we do have to consider all the possibilities. And you build up this, as I said, you build up the body of evidence, and there are, there are definitely um, instances where those criteria have been fulfilled and where you do have um, independent witnesses um, spread across time and distance uh, at the same level, when I say distance, I mean uh, where they actually live, uh, at, arriving at the same location um, and reporting ostensibly the same experience. And that's much more interesting for me as an investigator when I'm looking, for example, at cases that are worth pursuing. Um, we're looking for those sort of uh, types of evidence, building this, this, this base um, for for the case, this the CSI type accumulation of evidence. So I, I would actually like to ask the both both of you, both Cal and Steve. I mean, uh, you know, you're you're much more academic than I am, and I, I never profess to be anywhere close to your caliber. Uh, but but, I, but you do have robots on the moon, though, which is I impressive. do I do I, I have to admit that you know I I will own up to that as much as I I don't like to, but. I do have to admit that. Uh, but anyways, um, when you when something happens like this, for instance, I, I know, Steve, you spent 1,500 hours or some ridiculous amount in some shipyard. But do you think that, you know, a continuous investigation, like, for instance, my paranormal study, we've already met two semesters there, and I'm already booked for three more semesters next year. I mean, we will build up evidence along the line yes it's not continuous right yes it's not every 24 hours 24 7 is that is that good or or is it bad or i mean what 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 does that tell you the stuff we collect from my from well from my uh, perspective i would say that the longest possible time that you can spend uh in a location um, conducting the investigation, looking at it through all of the different sort of seasons of the year, all of the different times of the day, uh, is a good thing. But there is there is a double-edged sword to it because <clears throat> inevitably you're using the same group of people or the same team members in our case. And, of course, they become ex- extremely familiar with the location, which is a good thing because like you, like when you're in your own home, you, you quickly identify all of the normal noises that you make, the house makes, the neighbours make, people across the street make, and you can eliminate those very, very quickly. But equally, if, if for example, um, the, a story starts that you know something takes place, and it did actually happen uh, in cases in a case where we were again another long-term investigation that went on for a number of years, um, there were people who had experiences and it's very difficult then uh, to prevent word of that experience that that one individual's had leaking into the rest of the team and therefore coloring their their you know their own experiences and their own time within the building and you have to sort of factor in that that's going to take place so that after 1500 hours over 2000 hours that we were at the shipyard um 
we we really were very very aware that most of the team um, knew most of the things that took place, and what we tried to do was effectively block off a few key events um, that we hoped that they would pick up on or that they would experience during their time there that we knew hadn't been leaked out. Um, but as I say, it's something that as an investigator you have to take on board that, yeah, it's from my perspective, it's great to be there. You know, go, go one night, waste the time. Go two or three nights, you're still wasting your time because you still don't know the building or the location. Go for a very long time, has its advantages, but it also does have some disadvantages that start to build build into it. Cal? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I've been to some locations where I was asked along, and it was just um, 12 hours, 24 hours, and it seemed absolutely useless because we didn't have that famil- uh, familiarity with the building. And um, it was kind of impossible to track down the natural causes that quickly, even though we are there for a day. It simply wasn't long enough. The two locations that I felt that we got the best kind of results from were the ones where we'd spent a considerable amount of time there, or at least I did, on off, but with different people going uh, going in. So at least I was familiar with the building as a psychologist, and I was starting to see what kind of things were making people, uh, what sort of things were making people interpret something as the paranormal. One case in particular was at Plesley Bell Mills. And they had, um, between the double doors and all the corridors, which went around in a complete circle, um, if you eventually kept following all the double doors about on every level, in between the two double doors where they lock together is that sort of um, hairs all the way down and a sort of plastic um, sealant to kind of block the air in. Now, if you open and shut the doors at one end of the corridor and let the door shut on its own, it forces air down the corridor and slightly pushes the next doors along. To people that were going along on ghost hunts or whatever else, they were interpreting that as every time they were going around the corridor, someone following them and always opening the previous doors behind. (laughs) And it really freaked them out and didn't want them to go back to the previous door. And it did give that effect, but there was a perfectly rational reason for it, you know, because you couldn't open the windows in there. It was quite airtight. So even though some of these corridors were at quite a distance, I could just stand there every time I opened and shut the door and just watch the next door down the corridor. I could see it moving every time the one I was holding closed. So, you know, there was a cause, but I'd probably been there at least uh, three or four times before I even gave that a good check over and I got time to myself to actually go and look into what was going on up there and what people were reporting. And, again, it required time. I even told you, uh, Ron, the other night when we were at Spirit Quest, after we'd done the investigation, we sat down and I told you about my time at Clifton Hall. And, again, I'd been there in 2005 with Barry John, and it was all run down. It gave the psychological effect of a haunting because the reception was run down. It got flickering lights. There were cobwebs around the lights. It was like the family had just upped and left. All the paintings were still there, the statues inside the place, and there was just one security guard looking after the whole place. So people were having experiences in there, but we had to take into consideration, you know, the look of the building, the feel of the building. And then when I went back two years later, the whole thing had been done up in bright colours, new white paint and so forth. It had been done up uh, for receptions and so forth. But it seemed that it was still um, causing the same activity as it did before. It seemed to have the classical uh, phenomena reported in hauntings because the new family that had moved in were reporting things that previous people had that had been there. And they said that the activity was on the rise. I mean, certainly what they were reporting was quite shocking. They said they'd found blood little blood spots on their children's sheets that they couldn't figure out where this blood had come from. They said at times the walls had been shaking. They'd seen headless apparitions or apparitions that were just a head floating about. They'd even seen present-day apparitions of their own daughter um, stood in the middle of the stairs. And you mean like a doppelganger? 
Yeah, um, they saw her in the middle of the stairs and the grandmother was at the top of the stairs and um, the mother to the daughter was at the bottom of the stairs. So they saw this apparition from both sides. And after talking to her, trying to get her to come off the stairs and stop playing so she could go and have her dinner, she disappeared in the middle of the stairs. You know, so we got this mass of different reports of what people were experiencing. And I went back in after two years to then spend another year there. And again, people came and went, but I became very familiar with what was going on around there. So as Steve said, there are pros and cons to becoming familiar with the place, but again, there isn't at the same time. But I do think longitudinal studies and spending a lot of time in a haunted location, they are way more beneficial than just spending simply 12 hours or 24 hours and so forth in a location. It's not enough time to become familiar with it. See, the interesting thing about uh, the situation I am with my college class there is that I will be the common factor. Uh, I, through each class of different students, uh, they will all have their own experiences. I mean, hopefully there'll be some the same as the class before uh, and some different. Uh, but I will know the building more and more uh, each time I go and each time I have a, a class. So uh, is that good? Uh, do, you, do you think it's like the best of both worlds or, or not? Well, in the case of our investigations, certainly our, uh, myself and Anne, the other coordinator, we would have an intimate knowledge because uh, I would be on every investigation and it's mm -hmm. rare that the entire team would be used. So we would use people on a, on a sort of rolling basis. So I would have that intimate information regarding the entire site and regarding all of the things that people have reported. Um, and for that reason, I usually absented myself from the active areas and stayed back in, you know, sort of a support line to make sure that the investigation was, was you know, sort of running well. Um, because I was aware, you know, very much aware that I knew all about it. I knew what, you know, so any anything I, I experienced was going to be obviously severely dented by, um, you know, expectation, belief, knowledge. Um, <clears throat> I think you're also touching there on one of the classical explanations for Psy um, and for these experiences that people have. Um, I think it was Podmore, Frank Podmore, back in the early part of the 20th century who discussed the idea that, you know, these ghosts, apparitions and uh, psychic experiences, these psychic experiences, are actually a form of, of telepathy. And it could well be that you're actually becoming the common link. Um, you know, that what they're doing is actually picking up um, the whole uh, psi experience in the form of a, a telepathic hallucination from you. Or at least that's, that's the sort of general direction that Podmore believed, um, you know, uh, as an explainer of many paranormal phenomena, apparitions, ghost hauntings, and sort of general psi. He linked it all to telepathy. I mean, that, that is fine. But for instance, uh, if we bring in witnesses who have witnessed stuff there, prior to uh, to me being there then how does that play in if, if it if it com uh, coordinates with the inf evidence or information that we collect 
Well, it doesn't. Uh, it was. It was. It was always one of the great weaknesses of Podmore's argument. Um, this fact, you know, you had to have this universal or or a sender, you know, sender and recipient. Oh, okay. And it's, okay. it's also one of the the great weaknesses in these people that um, criticise the investigations of Borley Rectory uh, undertaken by Harry Price, because you know they point out that he could have fraudulently undertaken many things. But the fact remains is that, you know, 50, 60 years before he was involved, people were reporting paranormal phenomena. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Barracks family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous. As we give awards to the Barracks family. Alright. Hi, I'm Ron Kolick, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so, yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. Except- so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann and Ron. See you then. And we are back. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles International with Sir Stephen Parson, the rock's parapsychologist himself, Mr. Cal Cooper, and the humble Ron Kolick. Right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. So, uh, Steve, before you were so rudely cut off, did you get your point across? Yeah, I actually heard the... um I had the the break coming up, so uh, I finished. Good man. Uh, One thing I did want to mention, and first of all, I want to say hello to John. Uh, John went to Spirit Quest. He came all the way up out of this. So, John, uh, Cal, you want to say hi? Sorry? Do you want to say hi to John? No, he's just sorry. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, no, I am sorry as well, but I I would like to say hi, even (laughs) though I am sorry. Oh, God. Anyway. Uh, what I was, I do want to mention is, uh, I know that uh, Cal has Mr. Uh, Ross Bartlett uh, with him, so uh, I do have a couple of other things I want to discuss with you two chaps. But uh, why don't we bring on the young uh, lad himself, Mr. Ross Bartlett? Well, let's bring him. <laughs> He's in the other room. I'm just going to get him. 
You sent me a message that he was there. Yeah, I what know. I, I, I thought you'd privately reply and then say, yeah, go and get him. Oh, Sorry. I don't do anything privately. I'm very open. You know that. <laughs> oh, I'll, go, I'll go get him. I was meanwhile, just, <coughs> meanwhile, chat amongst yourselves. Continuity. No, I was just yeah. going to say, I, I tried to say it in the first <laughs> half. I loved, it's like Spirit Quest gave out goodie bags to everyone that was there, and I absolutely loved them. I've got the whole thing sketched out here. So, you know, if, if Ron, if you do want me to go through it, I do want to go through some of the cool stuff that everyone got out there. Oh, here's did, the they did it have Skittles in the goodie bag? Skittles? No. no, there was no Skittles in it, unfortunately. Mm. Hey, we had something better, Steve. We had a DVD from Mr. Richard Felix. Uh, well, um, what? I think it was. How could you, uh, how could you improve on that? Or something? Yeah, how could you improve on that? <clears throat> so I'd rather anyway, have had a bag of Skittles. Uh, I, I'm sure Ross was in the room because he's psychic. You must have knew we were going to talk to him. Hey, how's it going? See, I told you. <laughs> That's spooky. Isn't it? Isn't it? Ross, how are you, young chap? It's, it, it's so good to uh, hear your voice again. Hey, thank you, Ron. I'm good. How are you? Uh, I, I'm outstanding here in the field. <laughs> Anyways, Ross, uh, you came over here uh, to America, to New England, the 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 center of the universe, uh, you know. So, I mean, how was it for you? I mean, was it up to your expectation, the spirits of New England, you know, the rowdy brunch? Um, yeah, you know, it's been good so far. Um, still lots more to come. I'm looking forward to my event tonight um, and the ones coming up over the week. I'm very much looking forward to the Sunset Cruise. Yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, I think we have a couple of tickets left, and that's going to be a sunset cruise out of. Um, uh, where is that? Uh, Portsmouth. Oh, wait a minute. You have a Portsmouth in the UK. Hmm. Coincidence? I think not. Uh, yeah, that's going to be fine. I think there are a couple of tickets. If you go to our website, nigosproject.com, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. And tonight you're at the Wyndham Restaurant, the haunted Wyndham Restaurant, of course, at Dining with the Dead. So. And Steve, you're missing it all. I feel so bad for you. Yeah, keep rubbing it in, boys. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to rub in the, the goodie bag, Steve. You'll be jealous you didn't get one of these. I mean, Ron said that there's a, there's a really cool. I've got a Richard Felix Most Haunted Locations DVD to look forward to later. And uh, I've got a. Actually, a they, make gr they make great coffee, uh, coffee cup stands. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. I need that one. Oops. I, I'm not touching it. Yeah, but wait a minute, Steve. We also have the field guide to the paranormal there. Yep, I've got that with me by uh, Judith I, Joyce. I'm only, I'm, I'm only, I'm only dis jealous that there's no Skittles in the bag. Well, there's sort of Skittles. I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a bag of crystals, which is kind of, they look like Skittles, if you want. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but there's a bag of tea as well, which is pretty cool. Very, there's the British touch to the paranormal bag. So there's a, a bag of tea if you want to come. Yeah, hang on. You're, you're, are you near Boston? Yeah, just about. Mm, don't know. Well, I thought tea, Boston. Don't you tend to throw it in the harbour over there? No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. We just throw people in the harbour. Yeah. <laughs> Done. So, anyways, I believe we have Mr. Ross Bartlett with us now. Gentlemen, behave yourself. And, uh, Ross, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, what your experiences were at Spirit Quest and the VZ Estate. I mean, uh, I mean, what was probably the most profound thing that uh, you witnessed there? Um, wow, that's, that's a tricky one because it was all sort of 
you know very mixed obviously there was particularly the lady elizabeth who told me a lot about the building like the drowning that came up that was brought through through quite vividly and strong to me um and then of course i talk about dennis um and the guy named charlie as well so yeah kind of different links really um and all about the the same in strength i feel um and yeah it was interesting that you know those quite a few of those things could be validated on the night they were, and 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 I, I've known from my research that there was a uh, a person drowned, uh, and he actually, I believe, he does haunt that place. So that's that's kind of interesting that you picked up on him as well. Uh, the interesting thing about it too is, like all buildings, there are layers to it. Uh, did you find that out, or, or did it seem to be a mesh? Um, yeah, for sure. There did seem to be different layers. Um, each room in haunted locations can often offer a bit of a different energy feeling to it. And as you say, you know, different layers. Um, for instance, that part in, in the kitchen um, that you took me to, you know, halfway along there, there being that kind of shift of energy then as well. Yeah, that, that was interesting, uh, Steve. There's, there's a place in uh, the hallway, if you go down by the kitchen, you can actually feel a shift. So what what do you think we have here going on? Yeah, I didn't <laughs> There is there are there are there are possible environmental um, explanations. That would, I know that's why I'm consulting. Lead to that. Uh, perhaps one of the I mean I, I don't know the layout of the geography of the building, but one of the one of oh, the possibilities. Oh, you did No, I, I I surprisingly missed it. Um, one of the possibilities may actually be um, an impingement of infrasound within the you know, passing through a standing wave, an infrasound wave, uh, would actually give you that slightly disjointed feeling as you went through it. Um, which may, you know, may be a possibility that, that needs to be sort of examined. Um, but it's interesting that Ross talks about layers. Um, it's, it's always in, interested me as an investigator because obviously I've been to the same locations with different mediums. And what, what I find interesting, and it may, it may be down to this layers thing, is that they uh, so rarely pick up the same thing. Uh, and, you know, that's always been a, a bit of a problem for me. You, you know, you go with one particular medium, you go with another medium at a different time. Um, and they, they, they seemingly get completely um, different people come through uh, from different sort of uh, sexes, different periods in time. Um, and that, that to me has always been, you know, why do we not have that consistency? And Ross talks about layers and that, you know, that might be um, one on sort of, you know, possibility that's worth considering. Well, I will actually disagree with you because I believe, and I think Ross will too in this case, because one of the things he picked up was that drowning victim, and that was picked up by at least two other mediums at different times uh, several months apart. Uh, I didn't say it didn't happen, Ron. What I said is in my experience, uh, it yeah, so well, rarely happens that you get two mediums. bad experiences, Steve, it looks like. Yeah, I've just it's, it's, it's like miss, missing the the, the Vasey estate. Um, but no, it just doesn't seem to be that common that you take two mediums uh, to the same location uh, and that they pick up something that corroborates. Unless you're dealing with something extremely famous and well reported and well documented, um, and that you know you have to then factor in the possibility that they've been reading the same story. Um, but you know you take them to somewhere, and it doesn't happen very often that they. 
that they corroborate one another. In fact, I've been in situations where the mediums are almost complete loggerheads with each other um, right. and contradicting each other. Uh, so it is interesting right. to hear right. you know, Ross talk about right. layers. Get away with that, Ross. Um, yeah, well, kind of, you know, first of all, I think what needs to be mentioned on it is um, depending on when the medium is there, you know, um, if they're at different times, perhaps at different incidences and different times, maybe different phenomena presents itself, different characters, different residual energies, ghosts, um, and I say maybe different spirits. So that could be a possible explanation for why the mediums are picking up on different pieces of information that may even in some way seem to slightly conflict at times. Another one, of course, um, perhaps a more practical and rational looking one is perhaps, uh, you know, if you take five mediums, um, maybe one medium is very good and four are rubbish. Um, it really depends on how you feel about the mediums, um, their track record, and, and obviously how good they are. That could maybe cause some confliction because one or two mediums may be coming up with genuine information that makes sense and fits, and the other two may be coming up with information that doesn't make sense at all or makes sense a bit, and that could be through guessing or maybe doing some research. Uh, who knows what they make it up to. Yeah, I was. It was interesting what you were saying about layers as well, uh, Ross. That you, you know, there might actually be a sort of multifaceted, like, rather like the skins of an onion, that different people are able to drill down deeper into. Um, but it is interesting that you raise the other possibilities, of course, which is that you know you might be dealing in some instances with genuine mediumship, and you might be dealing in other instances with, hey, I've read the book and I'm going to recite what I know. Yeah, and, you know, definitely there are different layers, um, you know, from my experience anyway, and some mediums may suit one layer better than the other, and, and that can be due to their own personal experiences through life. They may be able to understand certain um, layers of information better than others, and, of course, if they can't understand something very well, if the brain and the mind can't process it, it can obviously be filtered through just in the subconscious mind and not really paid attention to. So perhaps, you know, that is indeed part of what was going on there. Do you have any particular, do you find that you have an affinity for any particular type of spirit or period of time or gender or, you know, in, you know are they more drawn to you, do you find that, than, than others perhaps? Uh, not particularly, no. Um, very greatly. I've, I've, you know, given readings to people of all sorts of different backgrounds, um, coming from various countries and belief systems and so on. And again, I've visited paranormal locations where, again, it's been very, very versatile. Uh, so no, nobody seems to have a preference to me or, or me to them. Um, mm. I just kind of do my thing and see what comes to me yeah. and, and, you know, go from there. I know. Um, I, I say that you know again. It's something that I um, seem to have noticed that, that there are seem, seemingly trends within. Certainly, can I say performance mediums, um, TV mediums, and others, um, and that those to an extent are then echoed on into the public investigation side of um, you know medium mediumship. Um, I'm sure everybody knows uh, has noticed the there was a huge increase in the number of children appearing in haunted buildings um, around the time of certain television shows because the mediums are tended towards picking up children. I, I could have come across really badly, but it, hopefully people will understand what I mean. Um, the, you know, I've I've been to an awful lot of locations um, <coughs> where the medium picks up on a child or children playing and you know you look at the location and you think yeah, there's never been a child within 100 
miles of this place. Um, so why are children being drawn here? Is that because of the, the individual medium? You know, there are explanations I've read from spiritualism where uh, the medium is described as being like a beacon in the spirit world and that spirits are, you know, that are completely unconnected to the location, are drawn to the individual, to the medium, you know, rather like moths to a flame, that they see that beacon of, media, of the medium. Yeah, you know, that that's possible. Um, I couldn't really give too much of an opinion here. Uh, it offers, you know, you'd have to ask the medium at the time if you said to them, you know, hey, well, there's never actually been any children recorded in this building, then what's their explanation really because it could be very different to mine um as for the beacon thing yeah you know it's possible i wouldn't say spirits have been particularly drawn to me um only if they want to get something across to somebody else would they be drawn to me you know again a, a message or a reading perhaps the children want to be recognized for some reason um to those who are there in the building at the time otherwise um i don't really have an explanation for that and it's not something that's really happened to myself that i can think of Hmm. Okay. <laughs> well, no, it, was, I was, it was interesting because obviously, you know, um, Ross, Ross I, I, you know, I, I read a great deal about spiritualism. I spend a lot of time working with mediums, and I'm always fascinated to, to talk to talk about the work of the medium and the work of you know the, well, the spiritual side of it because it's it's not an area that that I have a natural uh, understanding of. You know, I inhabit the world of the physical. Um, and so I'm always, you know, fascinated to read accounts of mediumship and spiritualism and to talk to mediums and spiritualists about the different sort of aspects of their approaches and their beliefs in the subject. Um, in fact, when I finish on the show, I've got a, a medium uh, uh, visiting me tonight and we're going to, you know, he's uh, a great friend of mine and we, we, we sort of to and fro endlessly on the around these subjects so i was just really interested to hear ross's perspective and take on it and cal uh, you have any take on this uh yeah i mean uh, i suppose i'm the same as Stephen. away i haven't had a great deal of background uh, with dealing with cases of mediumship there are a lot of parapsychologists that do deal with looking at mediumistic practices possible rational explanations for how people might be um, producing the effect of being a medium, and then also cases where there seems to be something going on. There's no way that the cold reading or the Barnum script could explain that. It's too specific. How are they getting such accurate hits all the time? Uh, especially at the University of York as well in their sociology department, they particularly dealt with looking at transcripts of mediums during their readings and so forth. Um, I've only done it once myself when Steve, Kieran and Matt were all at Tutbury Castle and I was there as well and I just thought, well, the night before I thought I'd do some readings myself. So I just went through a load of um, transcripts of Barnum scripts and so forth. And I, I did okay, but you know, for me, I noticed that a lot of people were picking out hits rather than considering all the misses that I got. And that's probably been over a year or so since I actually did that or even looked at a Barnum script. So on the weekend when I did my cold reading, you saw that it went down like a lead balloon <laughs> um, because um, I hadn't had time to kind of uh, practice and so forth. Um, you know, I can look at different mediums and think, yeah, they're, they're using techniques that I would probably use when I'm using the Barnum script and that because... I'm not seeing something consistent. I'm not seeing something that they're claiming to do. Whereas I can be with other mediums and I think, well, that's beyond what I could even hazard a guess at. And I did try that. Even though I had Barnum scripts at hand a year ago, um, 
I, I follow them as a guideline, but then now and then I just try a random shot in the dark and I get something right, such as a name or something like that. But bear in mind, I've probably been through 18 groups of people and it was only this one group where the shot in the dark was right. You know, something was bound to be right at some point where a name would at least, they'd find a link to it somewhere and that was saying, oh, Teresa isn't here today. I was getting the tea very strongly. Teresa isn't here today. Why can't she be here today? Oh, Teresa was going to bring us to this event at Tubbury Castle, but she couldn't make it. You know, how did you know that? It was a shot in the dark. Um, but is that what psychic abilities are? Is it just something that comes to you? This is the, the problem. So I'm always got to be looking, questioning where this information could be coming from. As Steve said, you know, do the mediums know about the place beforehand? Are they working off each other? Are they getting completely different information? So many things to look into. And it's not really been my area, but obviously I have studied it briefly. I've looked through it. So I'm aware of the possibilities, but there's so much to look into. Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing about it is it, what we, we, we're not dealing with absolutes. So it, there's always room for discussion, and that's what we have all the time. Uh, uh, I, I, one of the things I went to lunch with Nori, and uh, she showed me a device that was made uh, by the London Ghost Club, I believe. Steve, this is more up your alley, I think, or Cal, I'm not sure. But, I mean, we go all the way back that people are attempting to make devices that basically are mechanical mediums, the same as what Ross is. So uh, if we get information from a device, is it more believable than getting it from Ross? Was she showing well, you the scammer device? <laughs> I was just thinking that that sounds plausible. Um, yeah, I think that's probably to what talk about, To talk about devices, this is, this is far from a new phenomenon. Um, the one you're talking about was built just after the Second World War by um, a, a British a spiritualist who believed that he was given the instructions and all the plans for building it by um, by the the spirit of um, Thomas Alva Edison. However, if we stick to devices for a minute, man has been using devices, non-human uh, means of contacting the the, the spirit world. Uh, well. You know, thousands of years. The the oracle at, at Delphi, um, the Ouija board, um, divining uh, tools and divining by throwing stones or cutting entrails in order to get a message from the spirit. You know, okay, right. in the Don't 20th century, we stuck batteries and valves and uh, flashing LEDs on the front of it. But the the basic premise is that you know, in addition to physical uh, mediums like Ross and like many, many others, that, you know, non-mediums, people with no ability or limited ability, have turned towards mechanical, non-human means. You know, they've cut up their opponents. The ancient uh, Celtic warriors who lived in the area where I live now, they used to divine by watching how, the, how people died. Um, you know, they used to torture them and, and watch the way they died. The Mayans would sacrifice people. Uh, the Greeks would, you know, uh, talk to statues or use statues. The Ouija board has its has its uh, forerunners that go back, you know, uh, hundreds of years. John Dee was using, you know, uh, a crystal ball. Devices are not a new thing. Sticking batteries on them is is probably the newest thing. Uh, just just to confirm, the device that Nori showed you on it was from the Society for Psychical Research and not the Ghost Club. It, it was the Scammel device that um, Steve and I have been working on. Um, 
that had well um, it's coming out soon the article that we got for it but we found some interesting things about it certainly how it worked and the history of it and yes. um, <laughs> we got plenty of electric shocks from it as well yes that good, as well <laughs> I couldn't see it happen to nicer people uh, Ross, <laughs> I, mean, I, I want to go back to you Are you still here Ross I am yeah, Ross. I mean, you've seen all these devices and everything. When you when you investigate or, or, or do any events, and, and people have them, do I mean, what is your thoughts on it being a medium? I mean, do you find uh, validity in them, or what? What is your take on it, really, as a medium? Well, you know, I, I think it's an interesting prospect. Um, I don't think there's a device around yet that's definitely, you know, showed a real lot of promise in being able to establish um, a decent communication with the spirit world. Um, so, you know, I'm still in with a job at the moment, thankfully. <laughs> uh, you know, in, in the future, um, I would hope that something like that does come about um, and, you know, maybe takes over from the physical medium like myself and makes being able to communicate with the spirit world and exchange information um, from this realm to the next a lot easier. Um, it could certainly move, you know, society and our civilization forward um, a lot potentially as well. Um, but, you know, as I say, for now, um, I think it's something that's very much still in the works. Um, and obviously with Cal and uh, Steve researching into these different um, devices, I think that's a good way forward and somebody needs to be doing it. Ross is being very modest, though. He said only the other day he got the football results off of a ghost box. So uh, he said there is some. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, you guys, you think about this. I mean, when we come up, say we created this device or, or this device that you guys uh, say you reverse engineered it and and just found there was one light slight far and you fixed it and and lo and behold it started working really great. Would it be any? Would it be any more valid than than Ross? Would would it be more believable? Or would we have the same Steve Parsons saying, "Well, no, you know, no, 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 no." Actually, well, actually, it would be more. Sorry, Ross, but it would be more believable than Ross because if it was an objective piece of equipment and it was re doing something that was repeatable and it continued to do it it would be much easier to test the equipment than it would be to test a human being um because we can we can reverse engineer it we can measure what it's measuring in other words we can and we did with the scammel device we were able to uh, discover what frequencies it was operating um, how it was decoding information from the radio frequencies. And so if it was doing it repeatedly, then it could be objectively tested. And that would, in you're getting close, well, you, you would have provable science um, and testable results. And unfortunately, as, as psychologists know, when it comes to humans, they are so individualistic and so variable that you can't have any real consistency um, yeah. from person what, what to if, person. What if, what, if, what, if, what if Roth is getting the same information, but basically <clears throat> for the same results from the machine? For instance, let's just say that this machine somehow worked on infrastructure and say that the information carried from spirit is in that range of infrastructure. And this yeah. machine, of course, converts it and makes it into words. But in, in reality, the human body does the same thing. I mean, 
I don't. It, it just it just boggles my mind when I when I think it, about it. We maybe we're discounting something that's really already. No, made. no, no. We're not, Ron. And the reason we're not, we've talked about this before, is that the holy grail for for. Uh, for me and, and other inv- other investigators, is where you get the information from an individual, from a person, be they psychic or otherwise, and some objective piece of uh, information from from equipment. And it has happened. I've been in situations where the group of people conducting a séance have provided information and a piece of equipment, independent and unknown to that group of people, has verified that inf- that experience. Uh, that's true. What I was going to jump in with and um, say is a good comparison is even though the medium might be getting that information truly, we're still getting something that we can actually measure on the device that's giving this information. Another good example to compare it to when we're looking at the human mind compared to machines is if we want someone to tell us about what a particular car looks like and you give a person an opportunity to go and look at the car, they come back, they describe it to you, they draw it as far as they can, but a camera, a camera that takes a photograph of the car is giving you a more accurate image and display of what the car looks like than possibly what the human memory can. But the human memory can be confirmed by the photograph as well. But the device alone, you know, it's working better on its own than the memory alone. If that makes sense, it's, it's another comparison away from the paranormal. Actually, uh, but I mean, none I, of none just, of this is actually dismissive of mediumship. I just heard the bell. That means the pizza's here, so we got about a minute left. So let's uh, wrap it up. Well, I just wanted to add that. We're talking about objective information, but I want to make it absolutely clear that this is not dismissive of research into mediumistic abilities. Okay. No. No, and, uh, any final thoughts? Uh, let's start with Ross. Um, yeah, just on the last topic, um, I I can see exactly and, and agree with Stephen Calder. You know, it's in a sense a, a human being is very difficult to measure, uh, where a machine. You can. Um, and that's why, indeed, I hope, you know, maybe one day that sort of device can be um, discovered and built. Um, it would certainly make my job a lot easier um, if it could work even somehow in tandem with me. Yeah, well, I just have to. <laughs> um, yeah um, just going back to everything I've said, yep, and what Steve's saying, I'll reiterate that we're not dismissing mediums at all. We're just showing these comparisons, and it's going on what we did on the weekend. There's the science side and there's the psychic side. Okay. So wrap it up. Uh, I, I want to add that, you know, I'm hoping someday in the future we'll be able to prove that mediumship can work through a human by measuring a human. Maybe we'll come up with a device for that. So anyways, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parson, Cal Cooper, Ron Kolick, and our very special guest, Ross Pilot, right here on Parax Ghost Channel and beyond. And told you that, oh my God. And we'll be back next week and look for some new features that we got coming up. So, good night and God bless everyone. Good night from the future. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.